just want to say briefly before we start tonight, echo what John said this morning. We really did hear a great sermon this morning, and I think you can say amen to that. We were encouraged to praise God, and I hope we'll think about that sermon for many days to come. But I also want to echo that by saying we've been led in a fine way all day in our worship service, from the singing this morning to this evening, and every man that's led a prayer tonight has directed our hearts and minds toward the throne of God. Some of them have prayed publicly before, some of them for the very first time. I'm not going to tell you who is who because they all did such a great job. Prayer is a private thing, and to get up before other people and let them sort of into your closet, it's a challenging thing, and I appreciate the men that rose to the occasion to do so tonight. Every one of them did a great job, and I know when the last amen is said we got things to do, but it'd be great if we went up to each of them and told them how much we appreciated them leading us in prayer. I learned to pray from listening to other people pray, don't you? You hear things and you say, I don't mention that when I pray about this specific thing, and I learned something from the prayers tonight. So I appreciate them being spiritually minded and in keeping with what Ronnie prayed about with evangelism. Just briefly tonight, I do want to look at turning your Bible to Acts chapter 18. He talked about evangelism and us continuing to keep the fervor in evangelism and reaching out to those that are lost. And, you know, it's hard to change somebody's mind. I don't know if you've ever been successful at doing that. We all try to do it, whether it's in sports, politics, social issues. We've got our thoughts and we typically think we're right about what we believe or else we wouldn't believe those things. But it's hard to get other people to see it our way. I read an article in the Harvard Business Review this week, and they were talking about taking it from the vantage point of pretend you're a boss and you're trying to get people that work for your company that are normally detractors that don't agree with you to see things your way. And they talked about three different conversations that you can have to help people see things your way. Number one, they talked about the cognitive argument where you basically say to this person that disagrees with you, you should see it my way because it's logical. And if they're logical in mind, then you just lay out the reasons and then they'll come around to see it your way. They say, if that doesn't work, try number two, which is the champion conversation. You endear this person to you. They become a friend of yours, and then they become a champion of your cause. They'll just go along with the things that you say because they respect you. And then the third thing they said was you bring in a colleague that they revere, a third party that comes along and says, hey, you don't want to hear it from me, but listen to this person, and maybe that'll help you to be successful. But it's not just that study. Time magazine read an article with the same title, How to Actually Change Somebody's Mind, Different Authors, with seven reasons of what they thought we could do to help other people change their mind. We all struggle to do it. The book of Acts can be read from many vantage points, but one of the ways I think we can read the book of Acts is not just from the standpoint of evangelism, which is the sharing of the good news and information, but what the first century Christians did to change other people's minds religiously. That's what evangelism is all about. People believe this about God or salvation or the Bible, and they need to believe this in order to be saved. And how do you do that? In Acts 18, 24 through 28, which Cooper just read for us, I think it's the hallmark text in the New Testament on how this is done. I know for a fact tonight you have friends, loved ones, neighbors and co-workers who don't see eye to eye with you spiritually. They don't believe everything that we believe or even everything the Bible says. How do we have those conversations and emerge successful or at least attempt to to point them to Jesus Christ? There are several things in this text that I think help us. Now, you may not do all of these, but you're going to have to have a component of these ideas in mind if you're going to reach people and hopefully try to correct their views that might be mistaken about spiritual things. And so let's go and then we'll extend the invitation. Number one, 
put yourself in their shoes. Would you notice the text? It says that Apollos was a man from Alexandria. He was a Jew from Alexandria. Verse 25 says he was instructed in the ways of the Lord and he was taught this by somebody else. Luke's going to tell us how talented and gifted Apollos is. But before he does any of that, he gives us this background about the kind of person that Apollos was. He was a Jew. He's from Alexandria. What does that mean? He was instructed in the ways of the Lord and he knew only the baptism of John. Before he gets to what he can do, he talks about who he is as a person. And that's helpful because it's telling us where he's from. But it's also telling us in verse 25, the things that he believed he was taught. Somebody taught him those things and he did what most people in the world do. They believe exactly what they're taught. You remember the woman at the well in Samaria, John 4 and verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Where do you think she worshiped? Right where, where right where fathers did. And that's most people in the world. If we're going to be successful in helping people to change their mistaken views religiously, we've got to put ourselves in their shoes. Jesus could do this better than most people. He could say in the Sermon on the Mount, now you've heard it said, but I say to you, he realized where they were and why they were in the position that they were. It's what they had always been taught. In Matthew chapter 9, he said, I come to call the sick. I'm a physician and I've come to help those individuals who are sick to be healed. Jesus never had a doctrinal misunderstanding or struggled to see what a passage taught, but yet he was able to put himself in the shoes of others and help other people to come to the truth. But it wasn't just Jesus. You think about Peter in his second sermon in Acts 3 and verse 17. Peter says, I know it was through ignorance that you killed Jesus. You went along with your rulers. Peter is saying it was a wrong thing to do, but I know why you did it. And Paul would go into cities. And even cities that worshiped idols in Acts 17, Paul would look around and he would say, Acts 17 and verse 16, I saw all of your idols. He would put himself in their position. Paul knew what that was like. If you and I are going to help people, correct people that are religiously mistaken, we've got to put ourselves in their shoes. Now, somebody's hearing this and they're saying, Hiram, you can only live one life. I grew up in the church. I haven't believed different things and sought different things. How can I do that? It may be more difficult, but yes, we can. Here's some things you can do. Ask people good questions. Don't assume. Ask them questions. Jesus did it all the time. He would say, what's in the scriptures? How do you read it? Don't assume that their religious caricature of every belief and doctrine that goes along with their group. Don't say things like, well, you're Presbyterian, so I know you believe this. Or you're of the Baptist faith, so I know you believe this. Ask them for themselves and see what they tell you about the things that they believe. If they espouse a certain belief, ask them, why do you believe that? Because what might happen is they might say, I believe it because my grandma told me or the best man I ever knew taught me this. It won't make it right, but it will make you sympathetic toward why they believe it. Paul says, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, Acts 26 and verse three. No wonder he thought the right thing to do was to kill Christians. His dad was a Pharisee. He says, I was zealous for the tradition of my father's Galatians one and verse 14. It didn't make Paul right, but it helps you to sympathize with why he believed the things that he believed. If we're going to try to correct people's views religiously with the Bible, we've got to put ourselves in their shoes and say, you know what? If I were in your shoes, I probably would believe the same thing. If I grew up in that context, I understand why you approach things the way that you do. It's because of what you were taught and the way in which you were raised. This man's name is Steve Hartman, and he got this idea from a guy who was a newspaper reporter in Idaho. This man had a title called Everybody Has a Story. 
And Hartman did it as a joke. He said, I'm going to pick this up. He was a CBS news correspondent. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to open the phone book at random and go to a place and figure out a person in the phone book. And if they'll let me, I'll go talk to him. And he would do that. He'd open the phone book at random, go to a certain city and whoever's name he touched on, if they were willing, he'd go for two days. He and his cameraman, he would first learn about their life and their story. And then the next day they would shoot it. Once they were done, the person he was interviewing was facing one way. He'd have him throw an arrow or a dart backwards at a map. And wherever the dart landed, he'd go to that city next, open up the phone book and at random find a person and go find out their story. He did it from 1998 to 2004. And this is what he found out. Everybody in the world has a story. And when we learn people's stories, religion, why does Luke put this information in here? Apollos is from Alexandria. Apollos is wrong about the baptism of John. He says Apollos was taught it. It's to make the reader sympathetic because Apollos' situation says He was taught this. This is how he was raised. And if we just simply try our best to put ourselves in the shoes of others, we'll go a long way in helping them. Here's number two. Point out all the good that you can. Luke in Acts 18, 24 through 28 mentions five or six great things about Apollos. If you write in your Bible or circle, just underline all the things he says about Apollos. He says he was eloquent in the scriptures. He was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. That's number two. He was instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was zealous He says that what he did believe, he taught it accurately concerning the baptism of John. And then number six, he spoke out boldly in the synagogue. Luke mentioned six things about a man that didn't have it all doctrinally situated and sorted out. And he lays it on heavy. I thought about titling this point, point out the good, but point out all the good you can, because Luke tries to say every positive thing he can about Apollos before he gets to the religious error. Why does he do that? In the first place, it's because it's true. But in the second place, if we're going to help people that may be mistaken religiously, we should start with the things that they're getting right first and agree with the person as far as we can, as much as we can. And only after we've done that, then we should depart and go our separate ways. We've got to start there and point out all the good in another individual before we try to correct them. Try to see the things that are good in their lives and the things that they're getting right. And then we can talk about the error and the mistakes because people will receive us better when we do. But it's not just Apollos. Think about Acts chapter 10. The Bible says about Cornelius. He was a good man. He was devout. He always gave to the poor. He prayed. He's not even a Christian. Luke says, hey, he's a good guy. Somebody says, yeah, but both of those, that's a Jewish person and a sort of a proselyte into the Jewish faith. What about pagan folks? Paul goes into Athens. They don't even have the right God. He says, you know what? You guys are very religious. You've got the wrong God, but you're off to a good start. Let's start with the God you do worship. Acts 17 and verse 23. I'm telling you, point out all the good that you can as you engage with other people. David Camp says you can remember this if you can remember ABC. It's not just true about Bible studies. It's true about marriage and any relationship. But his point is this. This acronym stands for agree before challenging, before you challenge a person, before you think you're going to go to intellectual war with somebody. Agree with everything you can to the best of your ability and try to encourage other people. Apollos is a good man. He's got zeal. Romans 12 and verse 11 says that we're to be zealous in the service of the Lord. And that's who Apollos is. And so the Holy Spirit saw fit to acknowledge it and to let us know about it so that we don't miss it. Can you do this? Can you say this to friends and neighbors, even though, you know, we're under the new covenant? Hey, I appreciate your zeal for the Old Testament. We should love and respect and revere the old law. I think that's awesome. 
Even though you know the Bible says there's only one New Testament church that Jesus died to establish, couldn't you say to somebody, the Bible says a lot about the church and I think it's very important and your dedication to congregational worship, to the church you attend, I think that's impressive. I think it's great. Couldn't you say to somebody, hey, our group of those of us who believe that our world is actually designed and created, you believe in a creator God. I think that's awesome. You believe the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the son of God. You and I have more in common than you think. Don't you think that's a good place to launch out from and to start from? Paul did. He told Agrippa, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe the prophets. And Agrippa says, almost you would persuade me to be a Christian. Paul says, whether it was short or long, I wish that not only you, but everybody that hears my voice this day was all together such as I am except these chains. Paul says, you believe the prophets, Agrippa. You and I are more alike than we are different. Let's talk about New Testament Christianity. The Bible says flattery is a sin. We shouldn't lie to anybody. We shouldn't drum up admiration. But where it's present, we shouldn't miss it. We shouldn't miss the opportunity to say good things to people about where they presently stand so that hopefully we can graduate from that point and say difficult things. Listen, if we start positively, things may end in a positive way. Before we start in with what we disagree with, let's see where we already see eye to eye spiritually. Point out all the good that you can about what they believe, about how they carry themselves, about their moral standing. That's what they do here with Apollos. Roger Ebert was a movie critic you might have seen sometimes, Siskel and Ebert. You will hear people talk about them. People say he was a great movie critic because he never made his audience feel stupid. Listen, he was a man that had exquisite taste. He knew a lot about art and cinema, but they say he wasn't too good for what some people call the middle brow. That is just low popular level music and art. He still would acknowledge it and praise it, even though he was very particular about what he considered to be good art and good cinema. I've heard people say about churches of Christ, you guys really know the Bible. And the reality is, if you're a member of the church, you probably know the Bible better than most people. Most people aren't going to have their theology as sorted out as you do and as broken down as you do. And so the temptation is to make other people feel stupid, to point out that I can't believe anybody would believe that. Can you believe he thinks this verse means this? But the challenge for us is to say, what if we start pointing out the good? And before long, we end up looking into the eyes of a brother or sister because we did so. All right. The next points won't be as long. We'll go. We'll go faster. Number three, pinpoint the error. Apollos wasn't right about everything, but he wasn't wrong about everything. Part of being a soul winner is to point out things that people are mistaken about. Notice verse 25. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they've got to have a conversation with him about what he believes. And they start with this. You're wrong about the baptism of John. Ephesians 4:15 says, speak the truth in love. If you love people, you want to put yourself in their shoes. And you want to the best of your ability to point out the good. But then you've got to get down to what is this person mistaken on? And here's where we've got to pinpoint the error. Listen, all doctrine that is false or against what God's word teaches needs to be corrected. But all of them don't have the same level of prominence. And so we probably should, to the best of our ability, rank the things that really matter the most. The question we should be asking ourselves is, is this person in Christ or outside of Jesus Christ? That's the first thing that matters. It matters more than what they believe about the mark of the beast, the man of sin in Second Thessalonians chapter two or some sort of end time fiasco. We should start with what is a person's spiritual standing in relation to the gospel and start there and then work our way to every other issue. Pinpoint the error. Point out the one thing that matters most, whether or not this person's in Jesus. 
I preached in Florida once and there was a lady there and she said her son, he was older than me, he was a grown man. He had grown up around the church, going relatively on a regular basis and he never obeyed the gospel, never was interested in studying the Bible. She said, he won't tell me, I don't know why. One day I asked him for a Bible study and or just to talk with him about religious things. He said, OK, I will. We got one on one. And he said, listen, Hiram, I don't think I can become a Christian. I said, why not? He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I haven't told my mom or anything, but I just don't know if I can become a Christian because I'm really not sure whether or not aliens exist. And I said, oh, really? I said, have you ever seen one? He said, no. I said, do you think they're divine? He said, no. I said, do you believe God exists? He said, yes. I said, what about the Bible? Is it the word of God? He said, yes. I said, well, let's study the New Testament. We studied for about six or seven weeks. He became a Christian. Now, you might not agree with my methods, but I just don't believe that a man should go to a devil's hell based on what he thinks about E.T. If Jesus is the son of God and if there is life, out, God created him, submit to him, pinpoint the air. What's your problem? You're outside of Jesus Christ and you need to be saved. You know what might happen to a person who's mistaken religiously? If they get in Jesus Christ, they might say to themselves, you know what? If I was wrong about the most important thing, chances are I need to work back down through some of these other things that I previously believed, And maybe they'll work themselves through some of the other things that might rise to the surface as we talk to them about religious matters. They've got their whole Christian life to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they've got to be in Jesus. With Apollos, what they do is they pinpoint his error and they say, let's start with where you're really missing the boat and let's focus on what matters the most. Here's the next one. Number five, pull them aside. Acts 18:26 says they pull him aside and then they teach to him the way of God more accurately. You might be asking yourself, why would they pull him aside? Would you want to be corrected in front of the whole synagogue? Listen, Matthew 7 and verse 12, Jesus says all things that you would that men would do to you do even so to them. This is the law and the prophets. This means you probably shouldn't have that big doctrinal discussion in the middle of the lunchroom and maybe not at Thanksgiving in front of all of the family members, because people that are there that aren't interested, they'll just bring up other things to distract and detract from the conversation. Do these sorts of things one on one to the best of your ability. Jesus loved talking to people one on one. He talked to the woman at Samaria about her marriage, about spiritual water and about her place of worship. He didn't do it in front of the disciples. In fact, when they come back, the conversation's over with. He had to talk to Zacchaeus about important things, deep spiritual things. He says, I'll be at your house tonight and we're going to have dinner and we'll do it one on one. There was a crowd when the woman was called in the act of adultery. When everybody left John chapter eight, he says, by the way, go and sin no more. Jesus talked to people about spiritual truths that would have made them uncomfortable in front of others. And he typically did it in a one on one fashion. There's a place for public preaching. It changes people's lives like he did with Philip in Samaria, Acts 8, 12 and 13. But privately, people are more apt to listen to us carefully, rethink their positions and actually listen to what we're saying because they don't have to worry about image management in front of the masses. People are not against changing, but they despise being embarrassed. Even if they know they're wrong, if you embarrass them, they'll hunker down, buckle down and refuse the truth. Priscilla and Aquila pull a man aside who's more well read than them, more educated than them, smarter than them. And he's able to listen to them because they don't embarrass him. Put the focus on the Lord. The text says in verse 26, they instructed him in the way of the Lord. And that's important. It wasn't their way. It wasn't the new Pauline way. It was the way of the Lord. He had heard about the baptism of John up to a point, but they needed him to see what we're telling you about what you just preached is inaccurate. It's not the whole story. 
because God's word says more about it. There's a great commission baptism that you haven't fully submitted to. And you've got to do that so that you can be right with the Lord. Have you ever said this about somebody? Their marriage situation is so convoluted. And in view of Matthew 19, I don't know if they ever could change it. Or this person is in this religious group and they're so high up and so involved. I just don't ever think they could. They probably wouldn't if they don't think if they think it's we're the ones that's asking them. But if people realize the Lord is telling them to flee denominationalism or the Lord is telling them to be baptized or to reevaluate their relationship based on what his word says, they're more apt to change. Always remember that the pressure is not on us. It's instructing them in the way of the Lord. Continue to point people back to the word of God and say things like you don't want to disagree with God, do you? You don't want to disappoint God, do you? Now, don't you see what this passage says? Isn't God pretty clear here on what he's teaching on this subject and about your response to him? They instruct Apollos in the way of the Lord and his defenses fall down. In so doing, they soften him up and they enhance their effectiveness. And we do the same when we engage other people and put the focus on the fact that it is the word of God, not our opinion, not our way, not our interpretation. People are more apt to change. And here's the last one. Praise and applaud the change. When Apollos finally gets this right, the brethren send recommendation letters in verse 27 and he goes everywhere preaching. I think it's interesting. In verse 26, they take him aside privately. But then in verse 28, he's preaching publicly. God let them correct him privately so God could use him in a public fashion. And what I'm saying to us is this. When people finally change, we should be as loud with our congratulations as we were with our correction. When people finally come around and get it and make a big 180, religiously speaking, we should be as loud with our congratulations. The praise goes to God. He's the one that can change the heart. But the congratulations goes to them for being humble enough and honest enough to reevaluate their convictions and to say, you know what? I haven't been doing this right in light of what God's word says. I've been right up to a point, but there's more that I need to do, more that I need to change. And when they come around and do that, we should applaud them. We shouldn't turn everybody loose in the pulpit on the brotherhood like they do here with Apollos. But what we should do is let them know that they've done the very best thing and that God's pleased with them as well. What Priscilla and Aquila do is not really miraculous. It's what evangelism is really all about. And there's a sense in which if we're Christians, we all at one point or another were religiously mistaken and we heard the gospel and our lives were changed. And now it's our responsibility to try to help other people do the same thing. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Why do they believe the things that they believe? Pull out and point out all the good that you can about what they already believe, profess and practice. Don't be dishonest, but don't overlook the good that they're already doing. Pinpoint the error, the one place where they're really mistaken, especially if this person is outside of Jesus Christ. Put the focus on the Lord and let them make the decision based on an open and honest heart and view of the word of God. And if and when they change, give all the praise and glory to God. Congratulate them. And as Chase prayed so well a moment ago, encourage them to grow in the grace and knowledge and eventually develop and be leaders. We're going to lead us, be led in a song of encouragement tonight. If you need to respond, if we can help you in any way, pray with you or pray for you. Come now as together we stand and as we.